And the way they introduce him to Fred when they find him is they rock up with this bride that, before you even lift the veil, is very clearly a man. <laughs> it's a six-foot-one man <laughs> with hairy arms and legs. <laughs> and then they go up to Friend and go, would you like to kiss the bride? And lift it up, and there's Sean Connery, still with his massive grey Sanchez tash. <laughs> Soldiers of Hell! Welcome to the Soldiers of Hell podcast. I'm Andy, and I'm Spence. In 1999, a slightly disturbing young man declared that we are soldiers of hell. We are neither soldiers nor from hell. Fire up your mini disc and listen now. It's podcasting time. It's time for something we've been threatening to do for many, many years. It's Zod. <laughs> it is. It's finally happened. Um, lockdown has limited everyone's options entertainment-wise. Can't go to the pub, can't go to the cinema, can't go to the theatre, can't go to the ballot. So we are going to sit down, strap in, strap on in many ways from the outfit in perspective <laughs> and uh, and watch the 1974, I think. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure classic is quite the right word. Epic. Epic. In scope, in ambition, perhaps not in wardrobe <laughs> or production <laughs> values. Production <laughs> values. Um, yeah, uh, the, the 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 curio Zardoz. Um, now, I first heard of this film um, as a little sort of a throwaway comment in um, in Phoenix Nights. Really? Okay. Yeah, there's there's an episode where they're doing a pub quiz. Max and Paddy are outside and they're talking about Sean Connery um, in a film where I think he's, if he wears a wig, it's not a hit. If he's bald, it's a, the film's a hit. And so they're going through like Highlander 2, Highlander, um, all that sort of stuff. And then they, and then one of them goes to the other, which is that one where he gets his cock out. And then they go, Zardoz. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's Did weird. He out because I missed that if it happened. Well, at least three people have told me that that's the film where Sean Connery gets his cock out. These people haven't actually seen the film. I think they've seen that episode of Phoenix Nights and assumed because you're yeah. right. I, in a weird way, I had my eye out for that all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> and perhaps disappointed is the wrong word. <laughs> Because, no, I was going to mention a specific scene from halfway through, but let's not, should we play this one in chronological order? Should we? Because I, I, is... I have notes. <laughs> and I don't want to miss anything. Is that some notes you've got there? It is, yeah, yeah. So Zardoz, like you say, it's a 1974 film. It's Sean Connery. It's bizarre, isn't it? It's written, produced and directed by John Borman. Do you know any of his other work? Yes, one, um, Excalibur. Right, okay. And I love Excalibur. I think it's a great dark. It it feels very British, very earthy adaptation of sort of the Arthurian legend. I love it. But it's a bit weird. There's a connection because one of the first notes I've made is the production values of Zardoz feels like Monty Python and the Holy Grail. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're far off. Um, even the opening, the opening isn't what I thought it would be. Um, that's sort of... Okay, so... Oh, do we need to put a spoiler alert in here for a film made yeah, <laughs> like 46 cannot, years ago? <laughs> we cannot talk about this film without specifically mentioning, like, almost scene by scene. It's weird as anything. In fact, my first my first note is, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Brackets. Who's this floaty dick? <laughs> so, yeah, he's, he's, it's just a floating head. And this guy's got a moustache and goatee drawn on with but, what looks yeah. like a felt-tip pen. <laughs> <laughs> it is very clearly, yeah, a drawn-on tash and beard. Um. And he looks like he's got a tea towel on his head. Yeah. And and he's straight away, no mystery, Bosh, I'm Zardoz. Well, thanks for that. We thought Zardoz was the flying rock head, didn't we, that, that sort yeah. of appears soon after. And and in a way, both are correct. Yeah. But it's the sense of mystery and the in the reveal is sort of that's gone straight away. Um, and then he goes on to say, this may or may not have happened. <laughs> Does he say something like, here's my story or something? Or here's another yeah. story from Vault Time. I don't know quite how yes. he phrases it. but Yeah. And then he go, and then and then we're sort of off. He, so he introduces, he sets the scene in a way, and then we're off into the story proper. And, and my God, talk about a bold opening. So I mean, in our last episode where... We mentioned Zardoz because of our Connery or Dutch episode. We, we, I played a clip, didn't I, where Sean Connery's character Zed realizes that Zardoz is a contraction of Wizard of Oz, and therefore the man that you're seeing, the floating head at the start of the film, straight away you know that he is the Wizard of Oz, isn't he? He's the man behind the the big floaty rock head. Yeah. The Wizard of Oz. Zardoz. To summarise the overall plot... I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's setting something like 2293, I think it says. And something has happened. It's a post-apocalyptic world setup. It's the traditional... There's the elite who live in their bubble that reminded me a little bit of The Prisoner. Yeah. In terms of their weird society. And then you've got the have-nots who are sort of almost feral, living on the outside. Um, and you've and you've got in in that you've got your your nasty people, your Mad Max types who run run around slaughtering innocents. The difference between this and Mad Max is that these ones wear a red codpiece and braces. <laughs> they're good. They're um, bullets, aren't they? What's bullet it called? Where you where you wear a strap? Is it a bullet strap? Is that what it's ba- called? I think it's Bandolero, I think they call it. Okay. I don't know. Anyway, he somehow gets into the elite society and there are implications, is, is the <laughs> simplest setup. Yeah. So Big Floaty Rockhead arrives and you know you're in for a slightly odd ride when one of the opening lines from the plot proper I hope you've written the same line as me. I'm looking forward to this. Go on. Something along the lines are, the penis is evil, 
Got that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Penis shoots seed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a booming voice, and it's just like a floating head, and it's shouting this stuff out. <laughs> guns are flying out of its mouth. <laughs> and, it's, and, it, and it's like they must have had their safety catches on, otherwise everyone's getting taken out. <laughs> That was a little bit of a mini revelation for me because I knew it was going to be a weird film. I didn't quite realise how easily it wears its weird on its sleeve. Straight away, it's like guns are good, guns shoot bullets, the penis is evil, that shoots seed. Right. That's your your tagline right there, isn't it? I I cannot imagine a line like that getting into a film these days. No. I suppose in some ways I like that it did because it goes back to a, like you say, written, produced, directed by John Borman. And it's it, it clearly, this is what happens when you give a director free reign to make his vision come to life. Yeah. Well, maybe no one else would make it. So he just did everything. Yeah. Which is rather, rather like our film. <laughs> I like to think of that as more of a team effort. <laughs> yeah. Can I just rewind a second? Yeah, yeah. This is our first observation, but I I had an earlier observation. The first thing that struck me was the 20th Century Fox opening logo. And I thought, Disney owned this. (gasps) Could this end up on Disney Plus? (laughs) Could a Zardoz franchise (laughs) be... I like to think Zardoz and Willow happen in the same shared universe. But yeah. <laughs> All right, okay, I might just be um, misremembering this, but is the the Fox opening bit silent? Mm. I can't remember the, the fanfare. I think you're right. I think it is silent. So obviously we've got the strong head. We've had the floaty bloke come and ruin the twist for us. Yeah. So uh, the the next immediate striking thing is just that look. I think it is truly iconic. That Sean Connery outfit. Yeah. It is a it is a bold look, and it's it's not just that they've given him the red pants and the red cross bandoleros. They've also thought we need knee high leather boots to go with this and a ponytail, and a great big Sanchez moustache. Every bit of it is just, wow. It felt like if they'd made it 20 years later, it would have been Steven Seagal playing the lead role. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Just ridiculous. I can't... And that brings me on to the next bit. I don't recall that Michael Caine in the 80s he went through that patch that everyone knows as Michael Payne's. He did a load of shit films. Yeah. John Travolta had something similar. I don't ever remember. My, Rod, Sean Connery's obviously done the odd shit film here and there. But I find it hard to imagine a world in which Sean Connery was so low that he thought, this is a good idea. I'll do this. So I wrote this down. It came out three years after Diamonds Are Forever, 
It was only his second film after Diamonds Are Forever. Wow. What was the other one? I can't honestly remember. It's not something that sticks in mind, so it's nothing particularly famous. Or if it is, it's not It's not something you necessarily associate with Connery. Right. I think it's fascinating that he's gone from being the most recognised action star of the time to, you know what, I'm only going to do two films in three years and the second one's going to be a low-budget British production where I run around in <laughs> pants. Like, what... What? Like, surely it's more bankable than that. I just don't get it. But obviously it happened, so here we are, picking through the ruins of it. Um, it came, so, came out the same year as Man with the Golden Gun. Wow. So moving on with the, the plot of the film then. So Sean Connery gets in the big head, <laughs> jump, jumps out of a pile of grain, I think it is. Yeah. Sees the guy who we now know is the man behind Zardoz and shoots him for not really much reason that I could see. He doesn't ask any questions, does he? He just shoots him. That's it. So we expect sort of a little bit of, I hate him because that, no, he just, he just shot him in the arm as well. He appears to shoot him at almost point blank range. It only gives him a small flesh wound in his arm and the guy falls out of the head in a very, comfortable way this is what i don't understand about it because so obviously in the plot this head this massive building sized head is meant to be thousands well hundreds of feet in the air isn't it it's like flying yeah. like a plane yeah in and therefore if someone falls out of his mouth they're gonna go fly a long way down but in reality obviously it isn't in the air it's in a film studio so the actor falls out of the mouth, but he can't actually fall down because it's just like a step down. So they've got him on wires. So he sort of floats suspended almost like he's... Uh, it's not when you do them... Um, out of the plane, isn't it? Like, was it? What's it called? Free-falling type yeah. thing. But it, it looks like, you know, when you do the, the, the parachute jumps, but there's the big fan underneath you. Yeah, yeah. But he, he doesn't go anywhere, does he? Like, and then he slowly lowers down. It's like, but it would have dropped straight <laughs> down. It would have literally dropped straight down. You would never see him again. Not floating at the level and then gently lowered down. <laughs> so, and then, and then big head, big head man lands. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Connery, he goes for a bit of a, goes for a bit of a wonder. In what to appears look- to be like the town of Glastonbury. <laughs> <laughs> He's. I mean, I don't know where exactly it is, but it's definitely owned by the National Trust. <laughs> I think it was filmed in Ireland. It said Ireland, on the, end, the end National credits. Trust of Ireland. <laughs> yeah. But it does look like it could be like any set of cottages on a the estate of a stately home. Yeah. It? And that's what made me think of um, the setting for the, the prisoner. Yeah, that sort of small, nice, but sort of quirky village. And I, I, I thought Glastonbury because it's sort of literally every building he goes into, you've got this um, immediate sort of hippie version of uh, almost like pagan culture type or, or or strange hippie 
cultish vibes and the first yeah. cot- cottagey type building he goes into, it's got that it's like almost like nineteen seventies Christmas tinsel type uh, uh, curtains made out of foil almost that he steps through, like he's in yeah. some kind of gift shop. <laughs> <laughs> it's like watching an old episode of Tomorrow's World with hindsight of what the future would look like. Yeah. It's like, it's just, it's normal stuff just in plastic. And the balloon, there's something in balloons, isn't there? Like big inflatable things. And then he just, he he seems to just wander around. And this bit seems to go on for quite a while, even if like normal screen time, it's like compared to the rest of the plot. And there's a lot packed in. This goes on for a good 10 minutes. Yeah, it's, and you like, like you said, a lot of plastic, a lot of people being grown in vacuum bags, isn't there? Naked, yes. naked bodies naked in people, vacuum ba- yeah. bags. It it felt like if the Matrix had no budget. And in fact, in fact, that's one of my next notes is um, naked people floating on mirrors. Yeah. Early on, not long after he's discovered by um, the, the two women who discover him. He's taken to this sort of like, or not an interrogation, but like they use their unclear, very non-specific psychic powers to examine him and get answers from him. And he's lying on this big sort of glass mirror table thing, but his head's yeah. off the edge, and it's like That's a triangular. It's yeah, it's like a triangular tunnel, but he looked like. There were naked people suspended in the mirrors. Yeah. As just garnish for the screen. <laughs> yeah. Should we should we talk about the nudity in the film? Yes. It's you can't really avoid it, can you? It's there's definitely nudity in it, and it's definitely not sexy. No. I was gonna say all the women wear these strange sort of crop top type things that are just tied loosely at the front that don't provide any kind of support and very little coverage and they just sort of hang in a really unflattering way on them but at any moment you know one of them's going to pop out of it yep and it just happens <laughs> frequently and it happens so frequently that sometimes you see other uh slim torsoed people with these items on and you go, oh, they're very flat-chested. Oh, no, that's a man. But <laughs> all wearing the same costume, but you're always expecting it, it to be a woman when it's not. And they've all got that weird... It's like, you know when you see an old picture of Pharaoh? It's yeah. that sort of weird tea towel headdress that goes round the forehead and down the back slightly. Yeah. It's just odd. Is this what the future looks like? It's a little bit Logan's Run. Yeah. Is it the film? Yeah. And I suppose maybe a lot of films at the time had that same idea of what futuristic looked like. I suppose in the design designer's mind, it's a the world's gone to shit. There's no shops anymore. People are having to make their own clothes and they would look a bit like this. Yeah. It's either that or you think the future is like tinfoil suits. And that in the 70s, I suppose, they were the choices. Speaking so of now, the future, it, it does immediately then get into a point that is very real for now, though, because the, um, 
there is like a hive mind, isn't there? And it's called the tabernacle. And you can it's speak not... to it and ask it questions. Now, this is something that I didn't didn't hit me immediately. And they start talking about the vortex and stuff like that. And it's not immediately clear that the vortex is what they call their little town that they live in. Yeah. And yeah, and the tabernacle is it's, it's an echo that um, accurately listens to your questions, no matter what order you put the words in. <laughs> yeah. Instead of having to put it in such a specific order. <laughs> and it's all crystal activated. So they've all got those weird little rings that they talk into a little bit. We're very much like the new Echo ring that is coming out. Yeah. Is your Echo next to you? It's in the same room, yeah. Could you ask it to define three weeks? <laughs> okay, let's see what it says. Alexa, define three weeks. Um, yeah, she doesn't know. Well, in the tabernacle knows that three weeks is 21 days, which is also... X number of hours. I didn't write that down. So we move the plot forward a little bit, and and uh, Zed, who is, I feel like that's a convenient name for him as well. I think they were just going, you know, Zardar Zed. Let's let's call him Zed. Yeah. Rather than actually come up with it anyway. So Zed, who's Sean Connery's character, um, he's found by two women essentially. There's one called I think it was May, who's like a scientist who wants to study him. Yeah. And another one called Consuela. It couldn't look less like a Consuela if she tried. <laughs> and um, she wants pretty much to just kill him straight away. He's a brute, as she sees him from the, the Outlands, and she wants to kill him. So that's the initial conflict in the Vortex, which is the town in which he's found himself. And uh, and that leads to some issues. <laughs> so the next note I made was uh, regarding Sean Connery's acting. At the moment where, uh, did you say she was called May, the scientist? Yes. So May takes Sean or Zed to this, there's a pris- prism. <laughs> I think I've made exactly the same note. <laughs> So it's like a prism of mirrors, isn't it? And they, they step into it or through it or something, and then suddenly they're in inside this sort of huge m- mirrored room thing. Yeah. And he sort of walks towards it. Half his body is ob- obscured by the, like, the, cal- the prism is in between the camera and him, isn't it? And then you see yep. his upper, upper half, and he does this sort of... <laughs> slow-mo falling movement with his arms in the air like he's being dragged into it but it's the worst panto style <laughs> ever seen so exaggerated Do you know what? I have put exactly the same thing I put, <laughs> I put silver pyramid uh... <laughs> and yeah it is just absolutely it is, yeah it's panto level Oh, no, I'm falling. And then there's a weird bit where they just do some backwards talking. Oh, yeah. In that, there's, I think it happens again later on. There's, there's two 
at least two bits in the film where characters that everything goes backwards and there's never an explanation given to it. So one of the, uh, if you ever seen Twin Peaks, bits of it. So I love the original series. The the recent comeback was mm, more missed than hit, in my opinion. You can never bottle lightning, can you? And the first, but the first series was was brilliant, um, and that has a load of weirdness in it. And David Lynch, ever since, has sort of he's built his career on on weird type stuff, but he never quite got it right again, if you ask me. And I feel feel like this is a Lynch film, but before Lynch's time. But it's like Lynch's recent movies, so where it's no holds barred, no one's asking why something would happen. Things just happen. And it, yeah. in Twin Peaks, you had a lot of backward speaking moments, didn't you, and things like that. I think the difference is, I suppose there's, it's from the angle you're coming at. Lynch, it, yes, he's weird, but he's sort of done with that arty edge. And even if there's nothing to back it up from an artistic point of view, because of the way in which it's done, you assume, oh, it's it's part of a plan, it's, it's arty, you, you need to understand it. Whereas this just feels like a load of people that are out of their mind. <laughs> yeah. It feels like they're all on drugs, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And, Which, that and is, Connery probably was when he signed on the dotted line. And I think he would need to be to get through the film. Um, so that's, I think the Silver Pyramid, it might be, that might be the bit where they take him to have his interrogation bit where they work out how he got there. Um, and then we're we, we gradually introduced. There's, there's the big debate whether what they're going to do with Zed. And um, at this point, we, we get introduced to the character Friend. Yes. Who's a sort of very aloof, um, bored... You know, he's he's clearly he's one of the elites, but he's a bit bored of it and just wants to make a little bit of hell and liven things up a bit because unless he's you haven't clicked on yet, everyone who lives in the vortex is essentially immortal because society has advanced that much. And it's advanced to the point where they're immortal, which has made everything mundane because um because it's just dull. And so he's like, yeah, let's keep Zed around. And he sort of straight away sort of antagonises him a bit, but then tries to be his friend and says, oh, I'll use him for a bit of handiwork around the place. And through friend, we learn about the wider society of the Vortex. And yeah. you've got the, the immortals, and then there's sort of there's two sub-layers, which are the apathetics, which are so bored with being immortal. Let's just remind ourselves of that. They are so bored of being immortal <laughs> that they don't even move. <laughs> <laughs> Not even when a bare bandolero chested Sean Connery grabs one of their boobs without consent. <laughs> That's in the... <laughs> That's in the bakery, isn't it? Yeah. I've, yeah. I've, I've, written, <laughs> I've written the phrase, bakery equals 
Dewey buns. Because <laughs> this is the yeah, we meet friend. Oh, friend. And there's that weird scene where he, where Sean Connery is pulling friend's wagon. Yeah. Still in his red pants. <laughs> The next thing he says, I, I can't remember why he's uh, he's having a conversation with friend about what what's going on in the society and trying to understand it. And I've I've written this down, uh, correctly spelt, no police or exterminators, but of course it's Sean Connery, so it doesn't sound like that. <laughs> it felt like a better quote that I should have used in our Connery or Dutch episode. No police or exterminators. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there are points in this film where he is like Max Connery. Yes. Mad Max yes, Connery. <laughs> Jed. They call me Jed. And he, yeah. And I think this is probably best left to, towards the end, but yeah, the, the change in his dialogue from the start of the film to the end is huge <laughs> anyway so yeah so there's this weird bit where Zed he, he's got a wagon anyway yeah. so why does he need, why does he need Zed to pull him in the wagon he had the wagon before he had Zed so surely what was pulling the wagon first Is he what's he done with the horse that was pulling the wagon prior to Zed turning up <laughs> so anyway Zed and it's this tour through the countryside so where Zed uh, pulls him, I think is it? He goes, so he goes to the apathetics, and this and friend is literally throwing loaves of bread at them. Um, yeah. And then Connery, while they're talking about it, he, he grabs one of them's boob and then chucks her halfway across a barn. Um, and then gets angry because she's not responding to his assault. And then they go to see the um, the renegades. Well, before they get to today, he smashes up the barn, doesn't he? So he starts. Oh yeah, yeah. Barrels in the car in anger, and it, you know <laughs> yeah, it reminded me. About that. Reminded me of the scene in the room where he's getting so upset towards the end <laughs> before he kills himself. <laughs> he just starts sort of half. He sort of he's really angrily smashing stuff up, but somehow his actions seem really limp and. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, is. When, he, when he lifts that barrel over his head, everything in it is either massively over or massively underacted. So, yeah, then he, the friend takes him to see the Renegades, which sounds a lot cooler than it is. What was your take on the Renegades? They're all old, aren't they? And they're, it's like you've sort of gone into uh, a care home and... But all the care workers have left, and it, and and they've just sort of decided to do what the heck they want, but they can't remember why they're doing it. Yeah, they're sort of having a tea party and a dance and stuff, but they're sort of all over each other, and it's like they've probably been doing that for years, and they've all lost their minds a little bit. Yeah, and it's I think at some point in this sequence we learn that the way that people get punished in this society is they get artificially aged, but they're not allowed to die. So you can have a, an immortality as like a, a good-looking 25-year-old 
or you can be artificially aged because of your crimes and you can spend it as a dementia riddled 80 year old and that's what the renegades are they either have decided they don't like the society or they're criminals that have been aged or some of them as we later find out are the original people that created this society <clears throat> that have just gone mad a little bit yeah and it's just and, and it's weird and I feel like they in this scene they did just go into an old people's home and give them a load of drugs and booze. <laughs> yeah. Film <laughs> and film the consequences. So so that's the so we're now at a point where we know the society and clearly Zed's role in this is to be the catalyst for something to happen to change it. So I'm looking at my notes and there's a, a very significant bit that's going to happen but I don't seem to have made any notes about it so I'm wondering where in the plot it happens so does this where we now come back to the scientist who wants to study Zed and is this where we find Sean being shown a lot of erotic images in front of everybody to try and stimulate him to see what happens yes that yeah, it's after this bit. After they've been to see the renegades and the apathetics, we go back, and Consuela is giving a talk about how they find getting an erection absolutely bizarre. They don't know how it happens, what its purpose is, and it's sort of. I think it's the idea that because there's no need to procreate, there's no need to have sex. So that sort of sexual desire has become a weird thing they don't quite understand, and no one has it anymore. And so they're showing what they think is going to be sexy time films to Sean Connery's character in a room full of people um, in the hope that he's going to get an erection and they can look at it and go, oh, that's how it happens. So this is the scene I assume we were going to see Connery Todger. Yes. But we don't. He's he's always from the film from the waist up, but we assume he's naked. Yeah, it looks that way. Because there is a uh, an illustration of an erection on the screen, isn't there? A yep. hand-drawn picture to demonstrate, <laughs> yeah. in case you didn't know what one looked like. He And then they show some soft porn images that don't really do anything for him. I think, but, or anyone, they're the weirdest pics of... One looks like mud wrestling. What? Yeah, the first one is like a woman soaping her breasts up, yeah. but you don't see anything other than a very, very focused image of the breast. So there's no context to it. It's just focused. And the next one is, yeah, it's a black and white video of two people mud wrestling. I guess it's what they thought they could get away with in... I suppose, yeah. 1974 uh, in uh, what was probably a 15, is it? Yeah, I suppose it must have been. So uh, it has no effect on him. Uh, But then all of a sudden, just by looking at Consuela, he then gets a stiffy. And I don't understand this scene. And the thing is, there's two things that struck me about this scene. The first one is, if you've got this by looking at Consuela, she's been there the whole time. Yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) So why now? Yeah. And the second point is, it's the it's the smug look on his face because the way they convey 
<laughs> the way they convey he's got an erection is they look at it's a camera shot of Connery's face. He sort of smugly looks down and then looks back up at Consuela. And then everyone else in the room sort of laughs. Yeah. Which, spoiler alert, should be pleased with that later on. Yes. So, the next point I've made on my notes is, and this is weird, that we must be at about the halfway point of the film now. Yes. So, the halfway point of my notes, so I assume so. So, I'm not quite at my halfway point of notes, but I think that's because compared to the first half, there is so much plot to cover in the second half. It's like well, the first half has been preamble, world building, and then the second half is like, let's rip this mother down. I'm pleased you've made notes on plot and that you're you're steering this ship because, one, I've pretty much forgotten the plot. <laughs> Two, I made no plot notes. Whatever. <laughs> I've just made them. So can I read my next note to you and see if it makes any sense. Yep. Bowl of potatoes equals not washed. <laughs> see, I know what scene you're talking about <laughs> and I've and I've put wiggled to death. <laughs> yes. So it's so this scene is we're looking at all the people from the vortex. They're sat down, they're having a what we imagine is a regular dinner. And Sean Connery is serving spuds to the guests and Consuela, being the perennial nitpicker she is, takes issue with this and wants him sending outside. But I suppose, in fact, we've, we've glossed over a major plot point here, haven't we, I suppose? Because between the, the lob-on talk and this scene, I think it is, there's that little scene with um, the scientist woman where she finds out that Sean Connery's character is actually a mutant. He's more evolved than they are, isn't he? Yeah, and and is high and has heightened capacity for intellect and strength. Yeah. Which But then it's very it's brushed under the table again. We have to therefore assume that at the beginning of the film when he jumped into the Zardoz head, he knew what he was doing. Because he'd yes he'd detected he and unravelled all this over many years. Yeah, and and initially, it's very much sold as a, a coincidence. Yeah. So, so in this scene, Connery serving the spuds. Consuela gets an issue with this, um, a friend sends him out. Um, but then. They all stand up and do this thing that they do instead of sleep. And friend doesn't want to do it. So they all get the hump with him, point at him, wiggle their hands, and it ages into like 90-odd, and but only on half of his body. So was it because he didn't want to do what they did? I, 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 I thought they took a vote about Zed. They, he lost right. the vote somehow. They they do a thing where they vote. Consuela wants to kill Zed straight away. So I think it's Friend who says, well, let's vote on it. Let's see what happens. And the psychic woman, I forget her name. I don't think she's been given a name, says, right, you've got seven days left. We've taken a vote. You've got seven days to finish your study. And then Zed, we're killing Zed. 
Yeah. So Zed goes outside. And then they all stand up and they go to, I think they call it second level. Yes, I've written this down. Because he keeps going, going, I will not go to second level with you. Yes, yes, and that's it. And then then they go, right, well, if you won't have a joint dream with us, we're going to kill you? Yeah, or age It's very unclear because he's not really in the bad books at that point. It's just can weird. We, I don't. Can we just talk about their vote structure as well? It's like being in an auction room, isn't it? They all have this strange tell or tick, which gives away their vote. Sometimes they mouth it. Sometimes they wave their hand in a particular way, which indicates yep. yes or no. And yes, it, it appears to be unique to the individual. So you go, you sort of follow this vote round. This this huge circular table, looking at each person from the perspective of the psychic, and you see every single person's vote, don't you? And it's just yeah, odd. And you and you haven't got a clue. It's not like they're going thumbs up, thumbs down, and you get a flavour <laughs> of where it's going. It's like one is a nod, one is mouthing it, one is waving their hands in front of their eyes, one is circling their hands over their head. It is like there's you haven't got a clue by the end. I kind of I would love to do an edit of it where suddenly John McCurick, the horse racing guy, <laughs> and, and then another one where Arnold Rimmery is doing his most extravagant salute. <laughs> Could you have a yeah. different, different person? And, and I don't think either of those would look like the most extravagant in all. <laughs> so friend is aged and deprived of his again unclear psychic powers, and sent off to live with the renegades. But only it is like they've drawn a line down his body, like Two Face, where half of it is old man and half of it is the same as it was. Yeah. Um, so Zed goes to find him, presumably just to check he's okay. And Zed turns around and goes, "This is all your fault. Kill him." And then all the old people attack him. Yeah. Some of which with crutches. <laughs> and he barely escapes. Which is weird, because they're not the most aggressive people who attack him. <laughs> no. <laughs> and from this point, it, it really is, this is the point, I think, where the where the story gets kicked up the arse and things start to accelerate. And so the next point I made is sexy tug of war, um, um, which I think is immediately after this scene, Zed goes back to see May and find out a bit more about and, and this is where you sort of get flashbacks as to how he got um, self-aware, sort of. So but there's a flashback it... to the library, isn't there? Yeah. He's so reading lots. Of, he taught himself to read. Him and his, him and his exterminators are killing a load of people, and then he sees someone in the library through a window, runs in to kill them, but ends up falling in love with books. Until he reads The Wizard of Oz. Does that come back later on? I it's, think it does, I, doesn't it? I think there's two... Yeah. Happens. He smashes up the library in this flashback in anger. Yeah. And again, it's like the room. It's like, ooh, I'm really annoyed. <laughs> We're not quite annoyed enough. I can't quite convey it. Yeah. So so this bit with the tug of war is like, when he goes to have this flashback and gain insight into how he became to be who he is, they have to do it under a sheet. Yeah. And then Consuela comes in 
being a killjoy again and goes, do you know what? We're just going to kill you now. And the way she's planning on doing this is by taking the sheet away from him. And he holds on to it, but goes blind. Yeah. Is this an analogy for masturbation? If you tug on this long enough, you'll go blind, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) And the weirdness really ramps up a bit, I think, from this bit, because he wanders into the the psychic woman, takes him into this inflated mini Eden project and says, "Um, I'll help you as long as when you when I ask you, you kill me. And then she and gives him a leaf to it. That's my next note. But, or I, I, well, I'd written down the, the line from Consuelo, which is, he's gone mad. We now must become hunters and killers ourselves. I was like, <laughs> yeah, thanks for the expedition. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think it's, it's, some, there's a, it's here the dialogue as well really goes off the scale. Yeah. After he's been saved by the weird psychic woman and she gives him a leaf to eat, he goes off to see friend again. And by this point, Consuelo and all the people that want him dead are, are actively hunting for him to try and kill him, like you said. But he hides with the renegades who think the best way to deal with this problem is to dress him like a bride. Yeah, and that is... Sean Connery with a moustache dressed as a bride. <laughs> the greatest cinematic images of all time. I mean, that is proper, full-on Monty Python. That's after he's had a fight in a vacuum bag, though, isn't it? Yes, he's had a fight in a vacuum bag, run off, been saved by some old people that were not too long ago trying to kill them themselves. Um and they have to smuggle him to see Friend. And the way they introduce him to Friend when they find him is they rock up with this bride that, before you even lift the veil, is very clearly a man. <laughs> it's a six-foot-one man <laughs> with hairy arms and legs. <laughs> and then they go up to Friend and go, would you like to kiss the bride? And lift it up, and there's Sean Connery, still with his massive great Sanchez tash. <laughs> <laughs> You know, before that, actually, we learned that yeah. the apathetics can be cured by Sean Connery's sweat. Oh, yeah. He hides, doesn't he? He hides in a hall, in a like a, an arc, an archway, yeah. and he sweats. And one of them licks his sweat and then passes it on to her mate, and then they all start doing weird... Yeah, how they didn't find him at that point when there's like 15 people making weird noises around him licking his sweat. Yeah, weird. So they basically play a game of uh, pass it on, don't they? Yeah, they're not heard of social distancing. Different times, different (laughs) times. Now I've written down a line of dialogue here, and I can only imagine I misheard it. It sounded very much like they said, "Death comes to us all, Brian May." (laughs) That's not what I've written. (laughs) I don't know what it was. <laughs> which which line have you written? So this it's a different scene. Right. So okay. After after he's had the conversation with the tabernacle, but then the, right. Okay. It, it, the line yeah, is, yeah. "You have penetrated me." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 
So, uh, in terms of plot, then, yes, we're at the tabernacle now, aren't we? So yeah. he's escaped from uh, the renegades and he's found friend, and he's been given this big crystal thing that he's supposed to learn about, and yeah. he eventually finds his way into the tabernacle, and it's all very man with the golden gun. I've written that down too. <laughs> I've put Hall of Mirrors climax. It's out the same year as Man with the Golden Gun. <laughs> so it's just, it's, yeah. I've put Slidey Death Mirror, Tabernacle, because he is running around aimlessly in the dark going, Tabernacle! <laughs> and the, the Tabernacle itself, the interior, looks like they've just closed a museum for the day and turned the lights off. Yeah, but left but left the art installation, university student projects playing. <laughs> yeah. So he eventually, yeah, he has this confrontation and shoots himself in a Zardos mask. Yeah. And then I think there's a bit more backwards talk. Yeah, it all goes backwards a little bit. Yeah, because oh, people yeah, are it. smashing stuff up, aren't yeah. they? Because and... by this point, the people who are the elites in the society have sort of got a bit feral themselves in their attempts to kill Zed. So they're smashing all sorts up, trying to kill him. He turns up back outside the tabernacle and says, quote, stay inside my aura, and then turns by time backwards. Is this because John Borman had no ending? I don't think he did have an ending. Or is it like uh, Superman 1, where Christopher Reeve flies around the earth? times i don't even know i don't know because he he wanders through it is not just that people move backwards it's that the pots of that have been smashed move backwards and get refixed but then that just stops and it moves yeah. on again and he gets outside the tabernacle and he sees friend and friend says something like what's going on and he replies an old man calls me the voice of the turtle is heard in the land. Literally bears no relation to anything that's happened before or after. Weird. Just weird. <laughs> and we're sort of at the end of the film now. Yeah. Um, so it's the big climax. So he goes back to see the guy who created the vortex. He dies in front of Zed. And then they all sort of go, Oh, that's great. We can die now. We were so bored being immortal <laughs> that we're all really happy we can die. And then the next like 10 minutes is people wandering around the screen in one way or another going, kill me, kill me. And it's bizarre. And Zardoz, or who we now know is actually called Arthur Frayne, yep. turns back up with his biro beard. And starts chucking stuff at Zed. <laughs> and there's a weird bit where everyone is sort of... And again, this is where loads happen. Somehow, the other exterminators that Zed used to be a part of have found their way into this town and started killing everyone indiscriminately. Like everyone gets shot in the face. Yeah. And there's a bit where Arthur slash Zardoz and Friend look at each other and go, shall we kill each other? That'll be dead fun. Um, but then friend gets stabbed in the neck anyway by someone else. And I'm pretty sure 
as he's falling to the ground, he says, shit, it was all a joke. Like, he'd, he'd just done it as a great big setup. Yeah. Which I, I suppose is a reference to him being the Wizard of Oz again, isn't it? It is, so yeah. at, th- at this point, the Zardoz stone head falls out of the sky, doesn't it? Yes. And it, and it just crash lands. And when that crash lands, I wrote down, I thought it was going to be followed by a giant Terry Gilliam foot. (laughs) It's that level of animation. Yes. Even allowing for the changes in technology. Wow. Just like, wow. And everyone continues to die. And they... We've we've missed a, a massive bit here. What's that? There's a bit where before all the, just before all this happens, the scientist woman who was studying Zed says, "We will teach you everything you need to know in exchange for your seed." And he gets like twenty women pregnant and then sends them on their way into the wasteland. I have no recollection of that. When does that happen? How does that happen? There's, oh, God, I think it, I think it's, bef- it's either it's either just before or just after he goes into the t- uh, just before he goes into the tabernacle, because there's a bit where they say something like, "We haven't got time to tell you. We will teach you by touch," and then it's just him spinning around in the dark. And there's bits where there's like the superimposed paintings on people, and they're talking uh, backwards yes. and Dutch and yeah, right. and uh, the. I didn't realise at first that that's what they'd said. But, yeah, because they go all go off on horses, and at the end, as everything's getting blown up, they look back down on the valley and see it getting destroyed. So going back to the uh, everyone getting killed. Yep. A couple of, couple of significant mentions here. One is the squibs of the bullets were bad, weren't they? They were tiny little red yeah. dots that, of ink that didn't look like anyone had actually got a bullet hole in them, I think. Um, no, it looks more like you've snapped bit. a red biro in your pocket. Yeah. And then the other thing is that that all those people dying in one field reminded me of the deaths of the wax dummies in the Red Dwarf episode Meltdown. <laughs> yes. You know, when Gandhi yeah. and, um, I don't know, Einstein and everyone's just falling down. Yep. And there's that, there's that weird one, the one that annoyed me the most where someone is is lying on his front, crawling around, going, kill me, kill me. And then someone picks him up and runs a sword across the back of his neck. Yeah. And he dies. That That's not how it works. No. And it, all it, it just lifts a, leaves a little flesh wound, doesn't it? Yeah. The whole thing's bizarre. And then yeah. we're sort of into the the end scenes. So everyone's dead, everyone's dying. The exterminators are running riot over the vortex, which is now destroyed. And um, Sean Connery and Consuela run off together. Yeah. And it turns out that the woman who has been consistently trying to get him destroyed, as she puts it, actually loves him. It was just playground banter, wasn't it? It just it was just like pulling pigtails, calling names, and she really it was a big front, and she really loved him. And they go off into a cave, 
there's like a time lapse, isn't there? So it, it starts with them having sex and then cuts to her giving birth. And I thought, oh, that's what? They're mutated so much it takes like nine months happens. The pregnancy happens in. The thing is, I, I'm, I'm sure the first bit of that montage is still cut against the the current events of the vortex being destroyed. I think you're right, which is why so, I thought that that was literally happening in the space of a minute. Yeah, so it looks like it goes from pregnancy, sorry, it looks like it goes from conception to full term in about five seconds. Yeah. But then it turns out, no, it's just all time lapse because next thing we see them sat side by side and then she's got a baby and then the baby's a toddler and they're a slight little bit older and then suddenly it's a fully grown adult Louis Tomlinson. (laughs) (laughs) Caveman Louis Tomlinson. (laughs) And, uh, And then they get really old and then it turns out they drank from the wrong grail at the end of the last crusade. The only the only aging makeup I can compare it to is you know in the Princess Bride where they make Billy Crystal look old. Yeah, <laughs> it's that. At least yeah. we sort of know what Sean Connery would have looked like if he'd have taken the part of Gandalf now. <laughs> and then they're skeletons, and then it zooms in on the only thing of Zed that's left, which is his revolver that he's had all the way through the film. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is that. The greatest film of the 20th century. Soldiers of hell! I feel emotionally drained just talking about it. Well, to be honest, we've spoken about it for as long as the film was. (laughs) (laughs) We have done a scene-by-scene dissection. Yeah, I Um, thought this was going to be fairly short. We were just going to list all the weird stuff that happened, but it turns out listing all the weird stuff that happens is the whole film. Yeah. I bet you could. I bet it's one of them things like where they say, like, hey, have you heard? If you watch The Wizard of Oz to Oz to Dark Side of the Moon, it fits perfectly. It'll be, hey, have you heard? If you listen to Soldiers of Hell while watching Zardoz, it fits perfectly. (laughs) Even the bits where we uh, we forget the order of events and and we jump around all over the place still fits. Yeah, no one cares. No one knows. Do you know, the the worst thing about it is, I watched it last night, and I started watching it at half ten. Oh my god! Um, so I woke up on the sofa at one o'clock in the morning. Oh no! And, <laughs> and realised. I was like, oh, no, I missed the last little bit. So I rewound it and rewound it and rewound it and realised, oh, I'd actually been asleep for the last 52 minutes of it. Oh, no. (laughs) So so I actually had to sit up till nearly 2 o'clock in the morning last night to watch the last half of it. Oh, that is dedication. (laughs) (laughs) And I would not have had it any other way. It's one of them films now where so many people in my life have said to me, have you have you seen Zardoz? And when I say so many people, I mean you on multiple occasions. <laughs> <laughs> and now we can be the proud few that can say, 
yes. Yes, we have seen Zardoz and we are intimately acquainted with the fact that it is weird as fuck. And I still don't quite believe it exists. I feel like, you know, it was two years ago that we watched The Room and couldn't believe that everything we'd read and heard about it turned out to be true. And now, having watched Zardoz, I feel exactly the same. But I don't. I can't think of any other films out there that kind of fit that bill. The the difference with Zardoz and The Room, I think, that makes Zardoz even more incredible, is that The Room was made by sort of on a. I know Zardoz didn't exactly have a budget of billions, but Zardoz was a sort of self financed vanity project from the guy that made it. Yeah, this had a major studio behind it. Whereas Zardoz is a proper film. It had a major studio with a Hollywood A-lister. It's weird. It's weird. That is like... It's, it's like Daniel Craig in two years' time doing The Room. Yeah. As a proper film. All I can say, I think, to anyone listening to this is if you haven't seen it, and you've reached this point in the episode, you've obviously had all the spoilers. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter one bit. It is like The Room. I'd listened to a podcast about The Room before I watched the film, and it didn't stop me having the same bizarre experience from watching it for the first time. I I can't imagine. It certainly can't spoil it. All it can do is intrigue you and make you potentially want yeah. to watch it the, the two things i sort of will take away from it is it 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 feels uniquely british i yeah. can't imagine another country making it and the only explanation i can sort of give for its existence is that because it was 1974 people didn't really know what they were doing with sci-fi yeah so it was it's breaking new ground and it's before sci-fi became its own proper genre with its own cliches and don't get me wrong you could make this film today and it would not adhere to any cliches of any genre at all it is weird i think i mean you you spoke a little bit about it being sort of you know there's mad max vibes there's the prisoner there's also i mean the prisoner did come before this but all those different things that we now take to be tropes of the genre they're in there but they weren't tropes back then so potentially it was groundbreaking it just wasn't particularly good i think other things have obviously done it better since it left me confused intrigued shell-shocked I had a laugh at a few bits as well, actually. Well, it's definitely one off the bucket list. And I don't know what's next. That's the thing. I do not know what's next. Well, uh, I'm sure in the next next couple of years, we'll, we'll stumble across another cultural oddity that will make us want to uh, <laughs> dissect it at length. So, um, if you want to listen to your next real-time exploration <laughs> of a film... <laughs> Tune back in in two years' time. Yeah. Um, and for now, that's me, Andy, recovering with 
Oh, is that me? Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I thought I thought I thought we were doing a two Ronnies type thing. <laughs> Please download the podcast. Please more than uh, this, more than any. Uh, it's um, moot me asking this on this podcast, but I feel yeah. like this is the most important uh, podcast it's I've ever iconic. done. And if it brings Zardos to a wider audience, then our work here is done. Cheers. See you soon. Soldiers of Hell is a Fosgate Studios production. If you enjoyed it, please like, subscribe, comment, and share.